The truth is, and you, you know this, we believe some really strange things. We even say some really strange things. Some examples, for instance, are we will um, walk into someone else's house or we'll walk into their room. And then once we're already in their room or in their house, we'll say out loud the words, knock, knock. Isn't that kind of strange? Even though we're already past the door and in their house. It's as if we're like apologizing for the fact that we, we didn't hit the door. Another example is uh, this phrase right here. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Why would I want a cake that I can't eat? That doesn't make sense, right? We, we believe though, and, and in fact, I bet you're going to continue, if this is a phrase that you use, you're going to continue to use this phrase as it kind of means, um, not actually as it is, because as it is, 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 is pretty strange. Um, we, we, we name things really weirdly. I don't know if you've noticed that. We have strange terms for things. This uh, picture right here, this is a guinea pig. Even though it is not a guinea, and it's not a pig, it's a rodent. And yet some of them live in your house, and you're okay with this one because this is a cute rodent. But a rat... It's not. I, your call. Okay. Um, this one's a great one. Uh, this is a what? Cucumber. A what? No. Oh, it's a They said online, they said it's a pickle. Um, not yet. This is a cucumber. Close though. Um, and is this a vegetable or a fruit? Fruit. It's a fruit. Isn't that strange? For some of you, in fact, I just kind of turned your world upside down. Um, but the truth is, you are not going to go home and the next time you make a veggie tray, put a cucumber in it, are you? Even though it is a fruit, right? You're, you're not going to move it from one tray to the other. It's still, when you go to the store and you buy a veggie tray, you're going to see cucumbers on it. Even though it is technically not a veggie, it's a fruit, we, we believe some really strange things, and even though somebody may, like myself, come along and tell you the truth about what something actually is, or maybe how you should really look at something or perspective maybe that you should consider having, we have this amazing tendency to resist the truth even when it's right in front of us. In fact, some of you are still kind of befuddled that this is, this is a fruit, and you're, you're tempted to go on Google and fact check me because, you know, yeah, you don't want to believe me, but that, that's the truth. Here's one more, and this one could really mess with some of you, and in advance, I, I apologize if it like really upends your beliefs or something. Do you know what Jesus looks like? Like if, if you have an image of Jesus, actually just think for a second, if, if you had to imagine Jesus, the face of Jesus in your mind, what would you think about? And would it look something like this? Yeah, okay, there were some rumblings in the room because this is what we think of for many of us when we think of Jesus. And, and for good reason, 500 million copies of this picture have circulated around the world. This apparently is Jesus, even though it was painted just less than 100 years ago. Um, but it has become exceptionally popular. And so if I came to you and I said, hate to tell you this, but this is not actually Jesus, you'd probably say, okay, you know, yeah, Taylor, I, I get that it's not probably Jesus. But if I then went so far as to say that some scientists went back and, you know, took the genetic makeup of uh, many, many uh, Jewish 
uh, men 2,000 years ago and compiled them together and created the average-looking Jewish man living in the, the region of, of Palestine and the province of Judea in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago. In other words, a more accurate view of who Jesus was in those days. If I showed you a picture of that, I'm guessing you would think to yourself, I can't believe that that would be Jesus. Okay, you ready for this? Here's what that looks like. Yeah, that is a more accurate representation of what Jesus probably looked like. But deep down, I know you're thinking to yourself, I like that guy much better. I mean, he is a lot easier on the eyes, going to be honest. And why is that guy's nose so big? But guess what? That is a more accurate representation of who Jesus probably, or what Jesus probably looked like. I mean, think about this for a second. If you actually were walking along the road one day and Jesus showed up before you, would you actually know what he looked like? Because for most of us, we'd be thinking this, this blue-eyed, which is just so crazy, European-looking guy. But he's not. But we have this amazing ability. We see, too, see what we want to see and resist all the other alternatives. Isn't that true? We have this amazing ability to see what we want to see. And if anybody offers us an alternative view, we just kind of push it back and we say, eh, that's not for me. That's not what I think. And you are tempted to push back the genetically appropriate model of Jesus for the, the, um, the uh, really popular, um, I think it's the head of Christ uh, is the name of the picture. 500 million copies sold around the world view of who Jesus is. But the reality is, and the question is, what if we get it wrong? What if we let our biases get in the way of what actually is the truth? What if we sit there and we look at those pictures side by side and we say, well, which one do I actually like more? And we say to ourselves, we kind of like, well, your left, my right, but we kind of like that one better. But what if that's not actually accurate? We kind of push back the alternatives, you know this, even if the alternatives are more true, are more honest, or even better for us, we'll push back on the alternatives and just see what we want to see, right? We may hop up on the scale, look down, see our weight, but not actually work out, right? We may look at the nutrition label on that can or on that packaging, and we may see how much sugar is in there, or carbs, or sodium, and despite looking at it, we will see what we want to see. Oh, it says it has vitamin C, only 3%, but you know, that's better than nothing, and you just open the bag and, and eat it or drink it anyways, right? We see the clock at night, you know, it's like 11.30, we know we got to get up at 6 for work or something like that, but we tell ourselves, oh, I'll just watch one more show, you know, I'll, I'll flip through one more video on Facebook or TikTok or pictures on Instagram or whatever it is. And we justify it because we want to see what we want to see. And regardless of if you're religious or not, we do the very same thing when it comes to God and when it comes to faith. 
especially when it comes to Jesus. We want to see what we want to see, and we push alternatives to the side. I think that's why, for, for, for a lot of us, this series has been some ways challenging, because it has pushed back on how we view spiritual beings, how we view heaven, how we view hell, and it makes us a little uncomfortable. And so some of the points maybe I made, you're like, oh, I can roll with that, but some of them you just kind of kind of push off to the side because you don't want to you know, have to wrestle with or reconcile this alternative version of, of some of these realities, and it's just easier to kind of move on. So think about Jesus, though, for a second. You have a version of Jesus. I'm not just talking the picture of Jesus, okay? I'm, I'm talking the person of Jesus, who he was, who he represents to you in your life and to those around you. You have a version of who Jesus is. What is that version? If you're not much of a Christian, you may be thinking to yourself, my version of Jesus is, you know, he was a great teacher, pretty wise guy, may have done some pretty incredible things. A lot of people liked him, but that's about as far as he goes. You know, that's about as far as who Jesus is to me. He's not God. He's not the Messiah. He's not anything special. He's just a pretty, uh, pretty wise man who lived, lived a long time ago. For some of you, you, you know, you grew up with, um, I don't know how you want to call it, like traditional Jesus. Um, you know, you just went to church and you said the right words and you said the right prayers and you checked all the boxes and so you felt like you were good with Jesus. I know that was the faith I was raised in and not as a negative thing, just as a thing thing. And then it wasn't till college as agnostic that I got kind of invited slash drugged to church. I mean, I went willingly. I didn't get drugged completely, but I went to church uh, like three times, I think. And one of those times, the, the pastor got up and he talked about a relationship with Jesus. And I'm like, What's a relationship with Jesus? Because I thought it was all about checking these boxes and not, you know, what, what is this personal thing? I just don't even, it was such a new comprehension for me. And so for you, it's more like traditional Jesus, not like I have a relationship with Jesus. In other words, I talk to him and I get to know him. Maybe some of you, your version of Jesus is he has transformed your life and changed it in every way possible. And you love Jesus. That's who Jesus is to you. Or maybe it's somewhere in between some of those and that's okay. But who is that? Just, just be honest with yourselves for a second. Who is Jesus? Now, with that in mind, there is one part of Jesus that we all have to, I think, make a decision on, that we all have to really have down, especially if you're Christian. If you consider yourself a Christian, you better fully grasp and know how you stand on this particular issue. If you're figuring out Jesus, just know that this is a really important part of Christianity. In fact, it is the cornerstone of Christianity. And so, you know, this is a good question to ask. This is a good question to figure out. This is something that you need to, you need to wrestle with. And so that's what I want to pose to you today as we wrap up the series, because it is one of the strangest parts of Christianity. It just is. If you grew up in church, it doesn't feel strange because every year, once a year, was always a big celebration, and we talked about this particular topic and made a big deal of it, and so it feels normal. But in reality, it's not normal. It's super strange, okay? Here, here's the strangest moment. It Really, in the biblical story, at this point in the biblical story, like everybody except for probably God, was like, this is strange, okay? The Romans thought it was strange, the Jewish people thought it was strange, and all of Jesus' disciples were like, this is wildly strange, okay? This is the point in the story where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, 
And he's saying to all the people around him and everyone, I'm going to bring in my kingdom. Um, Everybody thinks Jesus is going to come in there and kind of take over and become king. And he's going to bring salvation to the world and a new life to the entire world. He's going to save the the Jewish people and, you know, usher in the new nation of Israel. And it's just going to be, whoa, it's going to be powerful. And everybody's just going to be shocked about Jesus taking his throne. And then the strangest thing happens. Jesus pretty much lets himself be arrested pretty much lets himself be tried and found guilty of being considered himself king or the son of God higher than all other kings in the world, which included the emperor Rome, which Rome didn't really like. Let this all happen and eventually was crucified, executed on a Roman cross and died. And everybody saw it. Everybody saw it. The man who had said, I am the king. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am going to save this, redeem this nation. I'm going to give you life everlasting. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Died. In case you don't know, the Son of God shouldn't die. The Messiah shouldn't die. And if he dies, then he probably wasn't the Messiah. He probably wasn't the Son of God. He probably wasn't God's chosen one. He wasn't king. If he was king, he wasn't a very good one, at the very least. And this leaves all the disciples, all of Jesus' followers, the 12 and then many others, well, at that point, 11. But many of his followers just left shocked, scared, uh, confused, frustrated, and and saying strange is almost an understatement. But that's what it was. It was just like, what just happened? Like, my entire world was flipped upside down. If you've ever had a situation like that in life where, you know, you're just going along in your career or, you know, a relationship or something like that. And then just in a matter of a few days or a few hours, it's just like, wow, our world just got turned upside down. If you ever had something like that happen to you, it's like, wow, I thought it was going this way and then it didn't and all that. This is that moment. And then some for Jesus' disciples and the people who followed him. And then it even got stranger. Three days after Jesus was executed, and everybody agrees that he was executed. Historians agree, not just in the Bible, but in other literary works, they talk about Jesus was crucified. Jesus was crucified. It is not, uh, everybody agrees he existed. Everybody agreed he was crucified. But what got strange is three days later, some women went to the tomb where Jesus was buried, and there was no body. And instead, there was a living, breathing Jesus. And it shocked them so much so that they ran back and told everybody who would listen, we saw Jesus and he was alive. And they're like, we don't believe you. We're going to go see it for ourselves because they didn't believe him. Isn't that strange? I mean, think about this for a second. How many people in history have ever died and rose again? It's strange. There's this really cool story in Luke chapter 24. We don't pay a lot of attention to it, but I think it's a really neat story. There was two disciples, not one of the 12, but other disciples, because Jesus had more than just 12 disciples. But there were these other two, and nowhere in the biblical story are they really mentioned until this point. And, and, and they show up on the story, and they had pretty much given up on the Jesus movement, okay? They had heard the rumors that, that day that Jesus had risen from the grave, but to them it was like, that, that just doesn't, we saw him die. And what do dead people do? They stay dead. That's been your and my experience, has it not? And so if there's rumors that, oh no, they came back from the grave, you're like, no, I was there. I saw him die. I saw him buried. It's over. 
And so they packed up and they were going home. To think that Jesus had risen from the grave was too strange for them. And so they, they headed home. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 24. Two of them were going that very day. The very day that Mary and, and the other women went to the tomb and saw that there was no Jesus and then saw the resurrected Jesus that very day, they were on their way to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were going along, they were talking. And what do you think they were talking about? They were talking about all these things which had taken place, all the things. They had followed Jesus probably for months, maybe even years, and they're processing through what this meant. Like, oh, we had all these expectations and uh, thinking about who Jesus was, and we thought this was going to happen, and then it went completely upside down. And can you believe that some people are saying that he rose from the grave? That's just kind of crazy. That's just kind of crazy. And while they were walking, and while they were discussing Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. Just to be clear, Jesus, whom they saw executed and die, literally was walking with them. And their response was nothing. They didn't recognize him. Here's what it says. But their eyes, their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And there's a lot of debate about why they had difficulty recognizing Jesus. But here's my take. And I think this is a take that will resonate with most of you because I know it resonates with me. If you saw a man you knew who you followed, considered a friend, a wise person, a teacher, and they died and then they came back from the grave like Jesus did, just out of curiosity, how would you respond? They show up, knock on your door and like, hey, I'm back. You know, what would you do? You, yeah, you'd, oh, you'd run. That's fair. Yeah, you'd run, right? It, it'd freak you out a little bit. You'd be shocked, right? You know, what's your secret? How did you pull this off? You know, can I get a little bit of what you're on? Because like, this is crazy. Like, what happened? What does this mean? What is the significance of this? That's what we think we do, right? But, but think about it for a second. Seriously, and I'm not trying to be critical about this, but but how many of you would really recognize Jesus? The last time you saw him, he was dead, stabbed, crucified, bloody, dead. And the next time you see him, he's aglow in majesty and life after death. You really think that you'd recognize him? You really think that you'd see God's son incarnate, your savior? Do you think that's what you'd see? Well, yeah, Taylor. I mean, I would think that that's what I would see. It'd be strange, but that's what I would see. Well, let me ask you this. How often do you tell other people about Jesus's resurrection? Because... I would venture to guess if your friend whom you followed for years died and rose again, you would be out there telling the world. You'd be like on fire. You'd be like, hey, everybody in every day of every moment, you'd be like, no, literally, my God came to earth, died, rose again, and promises me and you life everlasting. He conquered death. Death is not the end. There is life after death. Isn't that incredible? Wouldn't you tell everybody? That'd be like kind of the top of your priority list when you have conversations with people, wouldn't it? 
but you don't, do you? And I get it, we want to be sensitive, we want to be pushy, and I don't want to say go out there and you know, be super fanatical, okay? Be gracious and kind and compassionate to those around you and not trying to overwhelm, but let's be honest, part of the reason you don't tell people that is because it's, well, just strange. It's just different, and it's kind of hard to believe. And when you have to tell somebody about it, what happens? You have to self-examine, do I really believe this? Do I believe this enough to put my credibility on the line to tell other people about it? And you have to self-examine yourself enough to say, do I really believe this enough to put my own reputation on the line? And I think a lot of us, as we kind of balance this back and forth, we get to the conclusion as Christians, we say, I don't know if I believe it well enough to put all that on the line. Isn't that true? Or look at it this way. How many people who say they believe in Jesus and they believe on the resurrection, they believe in the resurrection, they go on Easter and hoorah, Jesus, you know, he rose from the grave, exciting. How many actually live like Jesus rode from the, rose from the grave? They live like death is not the end. They live without fear. They live with peace and confidence in the world in the chaos, in the hell around them. Not many. Not many do, do they? It's difficult to actually trust the promise of the resurrection. It's just like this picture of Jesus. It's just like this, isn't it a bit? Reason and logic tell you that this is probably more accurately Jesus but your default says this is Jesus. It's really difficult to see Jesus and to trust Jesus for who he really is. We, we don't want to see him sometimes as the resurrection and our savior. We are too talented at resisting the truth even if it's best for us. But my friends, if we don't allow Jesus, who Jesus is to actually, who Jesus actually is to change our assumptions about him, we will remain blind to who he actually is. We will remain blind to that. Because there are plenty of people, you know these people, they grew up in church, they attended regularly, they read their Bible, but yet they are still blind to who Jesus actually is. They resist the truth and resist seeing anything different than that traditional form of church that they grew up to, with. In fact, I think too many Christians are, are, are maybe too in, uh, trusting or they build their relationship with the church instead of Jesus himself. Let me put it to you a different way. Let me, let me ask you a question a different way. And it's a strange question, but it's a question that I wish as an agnostic somebody would have challenged me with. Because it's, it's weird. I, don't get me wrong. It's strange. But I think it's a worthy question because nobody denies that Jesus existed. I said that. Nobody denies that. There's historical authors who actually hated Christians. Actually, two of them, Tacitus and Josephus, who are the main ones, they hated Christians, both of them. Yet they still said Jesus was a man who lived and was crucified by Rome. Nobody denies that Jesus existed, but here's the question. Would you prefer a dead or risen Jesus? Think about your version of Jesus. Would you prefer a dead or a risen Jesus? If you're not a Christian, and I'm not saying this critically, 
But if, if you don't believe in Christianity, if, if you're not a Jesus follower, if you say, you're, you know, I'm an atheist or I'm agnostic or I'm just like nothing, don't put me in a box, Taylor, okay. Essentially what you're saying, the conclusion of what you're saying, whether you say it or not, is that you prefer a dead Jesus. Yeah, but Taylor, I, I don't wish anybody would die. In fact, some of you Christians are like, well, I don't want Jesus to be dead. Of course I want him to rise again from the grave. I don't want anybody to die. Well, so then why not follow Jesus, the man who conquered death, the only man I know of who conquered death and promises it for everyone who believes in him and trusts him. That's the power of the resurrection is death is not the end. We don't want death to be the end, Christian or not. There's just a part of, there's an innate part of us that says, I don't want death to be the end. I want death to almost be the beginning of a new thing, a new creation, a new life, a life everlasting that, that stirs something in us. And I believe it stirs something in us because that's the promise we're supposed to trust in and find truth in. Who else in our world today, in the, our lives today, who else who else promises hope in death? Who else promises victory over our past and our future sin? Hope against the wrong of our past so that we could live life to the fullest. I want to suggest to you that the stranger thing isn't that a man died and rose again and had victory over death. I want to suggest to you that the stranger thing is that we resist trusting that. We resist truly investigating that truth in our hearts and our lives. We resist trying to come to terms with that reality. Isn't that wild? Why would we be so against in Johnson County? And this is not a criticism. This is just a reality. This is, in fact, one of the drivers for why we started Infused Church is because in our county alone, 70% of people, it will be interesting to see in this next census, but about that, are not religiously affiliated. And I'm guessing most of those people would not say the reason I don't religiously affiliate, I'm guessing this is not their reason, is I just don't believe Jesus rose from the grave. I don't think most people even think that far. They just say, eh, Christians are mean and hypocrites and I don't want to be a part of it. And yet they're missing the main important thing, the thing that makes Christianity Christian. It's not Christians, it's Jesus. And it's the resurrection. And I get it strange. I get it. But why not trust in that? Why not explore that to its fullest? Why not experience life in its fullest now? Experience a, full, a slice of heaven now. Why are we so blind sometimes to our own decisions and to the truth, even if it's best for us? Why is it that Christians turn a blind eye to the most important part of Christianity? That death is not the end. That God offers life to us now and forever. To me, there is no better way than to kind of put the period at the end of resurrection, the bullet point on resurrection 
than to celebrate baptism. And so we're going to celebrate Nick's baptism. But what is baptism? Baptism is an outward symbol. It's a physical symbol of something that's happened on the inside. It's a physical symbol of following Jesus. And what do we do when we dunk someone in the tub? We take them and we put them underwater. And I don't know if you, didn't, if you knew this, but when you're underwater, you can't breathe. And if you stay underwater long enough, you will die. And that's what it represents, is death. I'm in an environment now where I cannot survive. I am dead. And I'm going to be brought, though, out of the water into new life. I am following Jesus in baptism because Jesus died and rose again. And from this point forward, when I am baptized, I am symbolizing to the world what's happened inside of me. And what's happened inside of me is I have trusted Christ. I've trusted Jesus in a way I've never trusted him before. I have a relationship with Jesus. Who he was, what he claimed to be, who he claimed to be, what he taught, and everything about him. And from this day forward, I am on the journey of following him more and more, trusting him more and more, putting my faith in him more and more every day. And that when that day comes of my death, I will have new life in him. And you will hear in Nick's story that he's honest. This is strange. This is not something that he expected. You'll hear that. But what you'll hear is he wasn't going to be blind to what was right in front of him, despite how strange it was. And he chose to let the truth, instead of resisting it, he trusted it. And it changed him. And this is a celebration. So you're going to hear Nick's story, and then you're going to see his baptism. And at the end, if you feel so inclined, after he's baptized, to clap and to cheer, because this is a celebration, something to be joyous about. Here's Nick's story. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick Schultz, uh, 38 years old, married with four kids. My life before Jesus was, uh, I would consider very average. Um, I kind of just coasted through existing. Um, I would have considered myself an agnostic, meaning that I need to touch, feel, and, and see things for myself to believe them. It's, it's hard for me to really give myself to anything if I can't feel it, you know? It's, it's an emotional thing for me. I have spent my entire life searching for Jesus or somebody, a God, um, just somebody to, to give me, give me meaning, you know, give me purpose, give me something to belong to. So I would even go as far as to have conversations with, with some of my, my favorite people because I love religion. I love religious people. I love faith and, and it means a lot um, to other people and I want to see that, but I never found it. I never found it. And then, and then one day I did. <laughs> um, the night that I found Jesus was just an ordinary night. There was nothing special about it. I normal nightly routine, brushed my teeth, went to bed. Um, and then I had the most profound dream that I've ever had in my life where Jesus came to me and he told me to tell my father-in-law a message that a storm was coming. And I woke up from the dream and I thought to myself, that was just so random and crazy. and. But let's go with it. So I did. At 2 in the morning, I sent my father-in-law a text message, and it said, 
A storm's coming. I'm supposed to tell you a storm's coming. To me, to have a dream change my life was never something that would happen, but it did. Um, and it's it's mind-blowing that, that something can have, something as simple as a dream can have that much effect on your life and, and really change the way you view things and change your perception of reality, for, for lack of better words. At the time, uh, Lonnie's wife, Dixie, was very sick, battling cancer. Uh, she, she just wasn't doing well. And about two weeks after the dream, I had a conversation with Lonnie on the dock about the, the dream and I said hey Lonnie did you did you get that text message from me and he's like no I didn't and I thought to myself man it was important that he saw that and I talked to him about it right there on the dock and I was like Lonnie Jesus came to me in a dream and he wanted me to tell you that a storm is coming and the look in this man's eyes crumbled my insides and we had a, a very spiritual connected moment on the dock in front of all the workers. We both understood what that message was and, and that we knew that it, it, the time was coming quick when, when Dixie was, you know, probably going to go and to be prepared for that. A couple weeks passed and the world loses one of the greatest women that, that we've known, that I've known, that Danielle's known, that man, our family lost our leader. Uh, it was bad. It was bad. But on the way to her celebration of life ceremony, um, I'm driving down the interstate. My family's screaming in the back because it's chaotic and everybody's emotional. And, and I have another moment where the most godly voice enters my mind and tells me that I need to tell Lonnie the storm is over. This uh, voice I can only describe as the, the Holy Spirit. I'm 100% convinced that, that the Holy Spirit talked to me and told me to tell Lonnie that the storm has passed and that, that healing can begin, and, and it felt good, and it made me extremely emotional as I was driving. I had to like stop and pull over and cry for a minute, and the car was silent. Everybody knew Dad was crying. Um, it, was, it was a big moment in my life, and it was really the moment where I, I believed. I had enough. I had enough to believe now that, that, that God's part of my life and that, that He's here with me and, and he, he loves me and, and he loves me enough to communicate that to me you know he, he communicated something to, 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 to me that was a gift and, and it's nothing I've ever been deserving of but I am grateful for it I'm grateful for that moment I'm grateful for that feeling I'm grateful that that I could have that conversation with Lonnie once I calmed down and was less emotional we drove there and I got there and I beelined it to Lonnie and I gave him a hug and I told him, hey Lonnie, the storm is over and we melted in each other's arms like babies, you know, two grown men sobbing. And in this moment was, it was emotional. It was emotional. And since then I've really opened my eyes to the, the blessings that are in my life and the blessings that are around me and the people that I'm surrounding myself with. I've joined the, the marriage group at church and it's amazing, having a great time with it. Um, yeah, I've, I've really let this experience open my mind and my heart to, to accepting Jesus and accepting God. The finding phase is, is over for me. I, I found what I was looking for. Um, and now the next chapter is, is baptism and, and accepting that, that Jesus gave his life so that I could be a free man. Um, and that there's, I can't imagine somebody doing that for me.
but I appreciate it. Um, and I want to love Jesus as much as, as he loves me. You know, I want to love Jesus as much as God loves me because to have that relationship with, with somebody that's going to do that for you is only going to be beneficial for sure. So my name is Nick Schultz and I have accepted Jesus Christ as my savior. And there's going to be a lot of people surprised about that, but I can't wait to tell the world.